Hello, hello, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heat is Gonna Heat, the Miami Heat podcast for the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest as we kick off another great Miami Heat season. Hopefully, this one should be a little bit better than the last one, which was uh, marred by a lot of up and downs due to injuries and a little bit inconsistent play following an extremely short offseason with an NBA Finals appearance beforehand. But that is all in the past, uh, especially the part where Miami season ended with a sweep at the hands of the eventual champion Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and now we're just going to move on to the next season. First, though, we got to talk about the offseason moves that Miami did make leading into this season. So, um, as I said before, there was that weird thing where we kind of got swept in the first round. So, obviously, some changes needed to be made. And they, indeed, they were for the Miami Heat this offseason. There was a flurry of movement. So, uh, heading out for the Miami Heat this uh, in the offseason was Andre Godawa, who ended up being a good veteran player and provided some good defense, but really couldn't provide much offensively, especially not from shooting. Um, so, not that bad of a loss for Miami there. Trevor Ariza, who tried admirably to fill in the Jay Crowder role from the previous season, but was ultimately unable to do it. And so, and also him getting being in his late 30s, it's fine moving on from that. Uh, moving on from Kendrick Nunn, that was a little bit rough mainly just because he did show out a lot as a rookie and even had some good spurts last year when there was especially some really bad injury problems. But at the same time, still wasn't doing much for us in the playoffs. So him moving on to the Lakers, fine, um, go for it. And then lastly was Nemanja Bialica, who was originally brought on to be a bit of like a stretch five. Unfortunately, his conditioning wasn't really up to Miami's levels, and he was kind of throwing for garbage time in game four of the first-round sweep. And sure, knocked down some threes. I guess that helped with his um, off-season free agency value. But again, not really losing much there. So those four, though, they all left in free agency. None of which, all of which were pretty much like rotation players. Like maybe the one that had the most value is maybe Trevor Ariza because he played the four, uh, or Kendrick Nunn because he was a decent scorer. But again, nothing that really hurt Miami. But beyond those four that left, there were two more uh, players that did leave the Heat roster this season that were, uh, they left in a sign-in trade, though, one of which was Precious Achua, who looked, he was like a very promising rookie. I, I will say that. I did see where there were some comparisons to Bam with, like, the athleticism, but he really hit the rookie wall hard early in the season. And that's not, it's not all entirely his fault, and it goes back to the potential thing of Precious Achua had one of the roughest intros to the NBA period coming in with an extremely shortened offseason. Like, again, the draft was, like, late November, and then they turned around and had the start of the season at the beginning of December, which pretty much means you had enough time to move, start training camp, and then go. Like, that's extremely rough for any rookie period, especially one that was as raw as Precious ended up being. And, sure, on the one hand, there you want to hold on to that potential and try to maximize it, on the other hand, Miami's in more of a win-now mode. So ultimately, I think this is a good move to do um, because what we got in return is better. The other part that did go out was unfortunately one of the Miami Heat stalwarts of the last few years, Goran Dragic, the dragon. And yeah, what can you really say about the, the Slovenian speedster leaving? Uh, for, for me personally, I have him as the best p- point guard in Miami Heat history slightly above Tim Hardaway Jr., but I'm I'm very clearly biased there. So I'll by all means if Tim Hardaway is still above you for you, hundred percent. But even then, you gotta admit he's like top two 
for Miami Heat history for the point guard. So from a leadership perspective, from like a sentimentality perspective, it hurts. But at the same time, like Goran, his injuries and his age were just really starting to catch up to him. He couldn't do well on defense. He wasn't really that uh, that much of a positive defender beforehand. He was more of a neutral. So he's going from neutral to bad. And offensively, you can really see that his speed was sapped. A lot of his game came from being able to get out in transition or to be able to drive to the basket hard. And once the injuries and age started to sap that that agility, it's kind of like, you know, you, you see the writing on the wall at that point. It's unfortunately not going to get much better than that. So, again, sentimentality, I understand. It, it sucks to move on from Dragic, but I do think it was a good move because for Precious to chew up, and uh, Goran Dragic, the Miami Heat landed Kyle Lowry as their biggest offseason change, arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest offseason change in the entire NBA for any team. And I do say that with a little asterisk on there that this wasn't a particularly highlight-heavy season for um, offseason changes in the NBA. But still, it's the biggest move, and it's where we're going to start talking about the new additions that the Miami Heat made in free agency. So, yeah, first off... They got Kyle Lowry on a three-year sign-in trade. It did send out, unfortunately, Goran Dragic and Preston Chua to the Toronto Raptors. But as I'll get into later on when we're doing more so like roster breakdown, this is an absolute win because, first off, it addresses one of the biggest problems Miami had, period, which is point-of-attack defense. Because Miami's guards were just constantly getting blown by, and that causes cascading effects on the defense. So first off, just getting Kyle Lowry there is going to be a big improvement. And then offensively, he can help lighten some of the playmaking burden on Jimmy and Bam while also providing some off-ball spacing if they want to be on the ball instead. So overall, just an absolute improvement there. And for that, they signed him to a three-year deal. I won't get too much into like the actual numbers for uh, sorry, value. Uh, I'm mainly just more so interested in years because we'll kind of see how this is going to come together later on. So in addition to that, uh, the again... Very busy offseason in terms of just like smaller moves for the Miami Heat in particular. So we saw that they had six players that went out. But in terms of new deals that were given out, they there were 11 overall. So again, a lot of small moves to the Heat. So yeah, we already have Kyle Lowry from the Toronto Raptors coming in the sign and trade. That was brought in. And again, he was brought in mainly to address the issues at guard. The other thing that Miami really had an issue with was in their power forward spot. Like I mentioned earlier with Trevor Ariza. And to a lesser degree, Andre Godawa, he was kind of tried as that in that role as well. So um, Miami, like I said, they brought in one thing to address the guard position, and then they there wasn't a great one-option fix for their power forward spot. So instead, they kind of gambled and went with a combination of Markeith Morris on a one-year deal from the Los Angeles Lakers and P.J. Tucker from the championship Milwaukee Bucks on a two-year deal as a free agent. So kind of hedging that hopefully between one of those two, Miami can find an answer at the four. And but if not, then you know those are cheap deals. Um, in addition, just these are more so re-signings for the team. Duncan Robinson was brought back. The sharpshooter was brought back on a five-year deal. It's a free agent, so he's gonna be around for the long haul. Uh, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent were promoted from two-way contracts to small two-year deals, so they'll help fill out the bench. Dwayne Dedman was brought back on a one-year deal as a free agent as the backup center. Victor Oladipo was uh, given a one-year prove-it deal as a free agent, so we can he can be a bit of an X-factor for the team. Omir Yurtsevin was given a two-year deal as a free agent out of a, after a really good showing in the Summer League as a potential stretch five. The GOAT, Udonis Haslam, brought back on a one-year deal. This will make his 19th season with the Miami Heat. 
and Jimmy Butler was extended for four years. Obviously, he's the, one of the best players in the league. 100% give him that contract. So, yeah, overall, 11 deals were given out. And one of the things that I wanted to keep in mind with this is kind of like you can still see a little bit of the Heat's overall strategy here of um, we have a few of the spots already settled. So, obviously, you have Jimmy on the wing, Bam at center. You probably want Duncan out there on the wing or Hero out there on the wing. And so the last spots are still, you know, that point guard position and that power forward spot on the front court next to Bam. So they addressed the point guard spot with Kyle Lowry, and then they kind of addressed the power forward position, hopefully, between P.J. Tucker or Markeith Morris. One of those two can uh, take that down. And then the rest of the roster was just re-signing stuff and filling out the bench, mainly with cheap one, two-year deals. So you're not really committed to any of them. Um, again, this was originally the summer that Miami was supposed to go for bigger targets like Giannis or Kawhi or Paul George or LeBron. All those players ended up signing extensions with their respective teams. So instead, Miami pivoted and used a big chunk of that money towards Kyle Lowry and then kind of sprinkled the rest out, of, out into a bunch of cheap one, two-year deals. So that way they're not committed long-term to any money. They're somewhat locked into this core with Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo all starting their really big extensions right now and taking up most of the cap. But everything around that... Oh, sorry. And also, you gotta, I guess you got to include Duncan Robinson as well because he, he definitely got paid in the offseason. But everything that kind of swirls around that and fills out the rest of the roster, there's not big money commitments there. So overall, um, I think the Heat really got great value in the offseason based off of the moves that they made. And we'll talk a, bit, a little bit more about that in the next segment when we go over roster breakdown. Let's jump right on in. So for the roster breakdown, I wanted to start with the presumed starting lineup just in a 1-5, through five, and just um, since I'll be spending the most time obviously talking on them. So first up at the point guard spot, we have Kyle Lowry, who for the Toronto Raptors last year in about 35 minutes a game, went 17 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 1 steal, uh, while sh- with shooting splits of 44 from the field, 40 from 3-point, and 88 from the free throw line. So in addition with that, just a few advanced stats. His three-point attempt rate was 55%, so over half, a little over half of his attempts are coming from three. True shooting percentage, 59, which is pretty, pretty solid. Box plus minus, 1.2, um, so still a positive there. Overall, with Kyle Lowry, what I feel he's going to be bringing to this team is some consistent scoring and then a really great two-way play on both ends. I mean, we saw he had seven assists. I actually think he could probably get that up a little bit higher. Well, it depends upon, really depends on how him and Butler share the ball, also with Bam to a little bit of a lesser degree. Uh, but regardless, I do think he's going to be the primary playmaker. Uh, he's going to get everybody involved. He's going to be great for Bam in particular, um, just because of how good Kyle Lowry is in the pick and roll. And then outside of that, his spacing is going to be pivotal for the Heat. So he shot 40% on threes last year and has a decent three-point attempt rate at 55%, so defenses know he's got that quick trigger and is going to fire. And so that's going to help when there's like a Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo pick and roll with Kyle Lowry outspacing in the corner or at the top of the arch. In a grand scheme where I think Kyle Lowry helps the most is that he fits in well as Miami's third best player behind Bam and Jimmy, whereas Last year, the third best player was kind of a rotating thing. Sometimes it would be Goron, sometimes it would be Tyler Hero, sometimes, well, probably most of the time it was Duncan Robinson. But when you have a rotating cast like that, 
really hard to find some consistency and to also have the talent and depth to go into a playoff series against, say, like a Milwaukee Bucks. And with Kyle Lowry now in tow, uh, Miami has that, that prior answered. And next up on the list, uh, we're at the presumed shooting guard spot. This one's kind of like vague, so I'm just going to put him in a shooting guard for now because that's what he does. Duncan Robinson, who last season for the Miami Heat in 31 minutes, went 13 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, while shooting 44 from the field, 41 from 3, 83 from the line for shooting splits. 3-point attempt rate of 86%. No surprise, this is what uh, Duncan Robinson does. He runs around the perimeter and shoots down threes. True shooting percentage of 63%, which is absurd, but really speaks to, again, how good of a shooter he is. And a box plus minus of minus 1.1, because unfortunately he still gets a little picked on uh, defense and can be a little too one-dimensional on offense. However, um, Duncan Robinson, I mean, what can really be said about him? He fully deserved the contract he got because he's up there with Joe Harris as, like, the best complementary shooters in the league. And kind of what I mean by that specifically is Robinson, like Harris, does a lot of work off-ball running around. So because they're off-ball, you can still put the ball in the best player's hands. But with on off-ball, they run around constantly trying to shake their guys, so you constantly have to have defenders sticking to them hard, which, again, limits that defender's ability to then be a help defender because if that defender does try to help instead and just goes, all right, whatever, I'm going to let Duncan Robinson just run around. I'm going to help on Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo instead. You kick it out to him, and that's one of the best three-point shooters in the league that will 100% make you pay. So the fun thing about these kinds of players, though, that I find, and I will also probably include, like, Clay Thompson in this as well as, like, the extreme, really great example of this, is when you put better players around them, not only does that make their job easier, but then they shine higher because of that. So, like, for example, from last year's team to this year's team, now we also have Kyle Lowry, who's going to have, he's going to pull a little bit of gravity towards himself with both his on-ball action, and even if he's off-ball, he's going to pull some gravity because he's a solid three-point shooter. And that's going to make it easier for Duncan Robinson to just keep running around because if Kyle Lowry's driving in hard and the defense claps on him, well, then it's just going to be a kick out to a Duncan Robinson three. Thank you very much. Moving on from Duncan Robinson, we have, of course, Jimmy G. Buckets. I have at the small forward slash shooting guard spot, however you want to phrase it. But last year, career year for Jimmy Butler, 34 minutes, went 22.7 rebounds, 7 assists, and 2 steals, while shooting 50% from the field, 25% from 3, 86% from the free throw line. His 3-point attempt rate was a abysmally small 14%. True shooting percent, still really good 61%, which kind of goes to show how much Emphasis he put on pretty much everything inside the arc. Uh, and box plus minus 7.5 leads the team, if you excuse um, Udonis Haslam, who we'll get to later on. But yeah, Jimmy Butler, leader of the Miami Heat. Uh, you can just heap praise on him all day long, even with what was a bad-looking series for him against the Bucks. However, Jimmy Butler, still one of the best players in the league. I mean, he's almost putting up like LeBron numbers a little bit, just without as much of the scoring. But, you know, seven rebounds, seven assists, that's like a LeBron stat line year in, year out. Two steals because he was just relentless in pa- uh, passing lanes, just constantly poking the ball out. And then obviously on the defensive end, he's still one of the best play- defensive players in the league. Still made all-NBA defense last year. 
Uh, offensively is where things always get interesting because he's a relentless attacker to the rim, and it's very unlike like James Harden or uh, Trey Young that they're more so trying to draw defenders in. Jimmy Butler just goes at you, and either he's going to get to the rim or you're going to foul him or he's going to get an and one. So it's, it's just going to be one of those three things. Um, to complement that, he has a really solid mid-range game. He's a great playmaker, a good rebounder, a good cutter. So I think the cutting especially is where he's going to be able to shine a little bit more this year because he's going to be able to actually play off of Kyle Lowry. However, the biggest problem he has on offense, and it continues to baffle me why this only really started with the Miami Heat, is his three-point shooting. So Jimmy Butler, before the Heat, not that he was a great three-point shooter, but he was usually good for like, 35% on three attempts a game. So, you know, he's knocking out at least a three a game on, on that kind of rate, which is enough to at least keep the defense a little bit honest. And that's really what's been missing since he came to Miami, where he's been shooting closer to like 25% on one or two attempts a game. And honestly, it's what I think is one of the biggest caps for Miami's ceiling as a team. If Jimmy Butler can just get back to what he was before, like 35% on three attempts a game, that would raise Miami's ceiling so much because at least he can provide a little bit of spacing. Right now, off-ball, Jimmy Butler, he still provides value in in terms of things like cutting, uh, trying to go for offensive rebounds, setting screens, things like that. But he can't space. And the way that today's game kind of works, you need four people that can, at least four people, preferably five, obviously, but at least four people that can somewhat space the floor. Bam can't do that right now. Jimmy at least showed that he can do that. So that's why I put more so the onus on him that I would like his three-point shooting to get better. But that is like the the one problem that I can really point to. Everything else on Jimmy Butler is absolutely like all NBA level. Now at the four spot, we have P.J. Tucker coming in from the championship Milwaukee Bucks who in 26 minutes uh, combined his Houston and Milwaukee numbers because he did start the season on Houston before going to the Bucks, uh, But combining his numbers for last season in 26 minutes, he went four points, four rebounds, one assist, one steal while shooting uh, 37% from the field, 34 from three, 75 from the line. Three-point attempt rate was 67%. When P.J. Tucker offensively, he kind of knows his position. He usually hangs around in the corners or maybe above the arch, but he's he's there to try to space the floor a little bit to somewhat success because uh, he only shot 34% last year. But still, he's going to perform the role, and some most teams will still kind of like give him a little bit of credit and try to go out there and guard him. Um, two shooting percentage, 51%, not very good there, a reflection of you know how bad he is in general, offensively, and box plus minus, minus 4.3, mainly because of the offensive concerns. So, P.J. Tucker, where he could potentially fill in for the four spot for Miami. Uh, Defensively, I don't really have any concerns there. He's still a really great defender, even at his age. Uh, This is a guy that is one of the few players in the league that you can try to throw at somebody like Kevin Durant. Um, In Tucker's case, he mainly just, quote-unquote, slowed him down a little bit because it's Kevin freaking Durant. However, nonetheless, having that on defense, it's going to be helpful. Um, should be better than Trevor Ariza was just because you know, P.J. Tucker is more of a forward that can guard forwards and centers, whereas Trevor Ariza is more of a forward that guards guards and centers, if that kind of makes sense. So P.J., though, is better equipped to, in the case that Bam needs to switch onto the perimeter and someone needs to now take the center, 
P.J. Tucker can can take that switch, whereas Trevor Reza really couldn't last year, and that, that ended up being a big problem. The issues that are going to happen with P.J. Tucker are, kind of like I alluded to, all going to be in the offensive end. I mean, four points a game, 37 from the field, 34 from the three-point line, those are not great numbers. I would hope that in Miami's system where there's hopefully a little bit more spacing, maybe a little bit more ball movement, he can try to find a rhythm, try to up that three-point percentage, because that's primarily going to be his role is catch-and-shoot threes, and I hope that he can grow to excel in that. And last in the starting five, but definitely not least, Bam Adebayo, our growing cornerstone. So Bam Adebayo last season in 34 minutes went 19 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 1 block, while shooting 57% from the floor, 25% from 3, technically only took like 8 attempts last year, and 80% from the line for shooting splits. So I didn't want to really bring up his 3-point attempt rate because it was like 1%. Uh, Bam hardly ever even takes 3s to the point that it's really, I would really even consider it in his repertoire, kind of the same way that you think of Ben Simmons doesn't shoot 3s. Um, although I would have more faith that Bam could make a 3 than Simmons. Regardless, uh, so I didn't really want to focus on his 3-point attempt rate uh, I did want to shoot, point out, though, his true shooting percentage is 63%, which is still really efficient and speaks to a lot of what Bam has done um, and then his improvements as a shooter. And where those improvements have really shown is, one, is free throw percentage. So I mentioned it was 80%. The year beforehand, on similar um, free throw attempts per game numbers, Bam was shooting about 69%. Nice. Um, but uh, this year he jumped up to 80%, so that's 11% improvement, and that's kind of the difference between uh, if we're talking like late game situations, you got to hack somebody. You know, if somebody's shooting 70%, it's not the best, but you know maybe you take that, especially if you're only down like a point or so. But if they're shooting 80%, that's when you're kind of starting to look and maybe see if you have any other options for fouling. But there's also a big correlation between like free throw shooting and like long distance shooting. So the improvements of the free throw line, fingers crossed, hopefully translate to other areas of the floor. We can kind of see that, especially with his growing mid-game range. So he flashed a little bit of that in 1920, but in 2021 is when we really started seeing that mid-range game become like a heavy tool in his arsenal. And one of the interesting things was seeing how like the percentage of field goals that he takes. So like how many how many goal field goal attempts is he taking from you know like right at the rim versus 3 to 10 feet out or 10 to 16 feet out or 16 to the line, the, the sh- there's a gradual shift outwards where Bam is taking more mid-range and, and deeper mid-ranges year after year. And usually you would think, okay, so he would be getting less accurate. No, he got accurate pretty much everywhere. Like even at rim, he was getting more accurate just because now he doesn't have to attack the basket for what's going to be a heavily defended uh, contested shot, you can just pull up from the mid-range and knock it down. It did disappear in the playoffs, so we do have to big that put that big caveat on there. I mean, one of the things that seared into my mind be, um, up there with Giannis just smothering Jimmy Butler is Bam Adebayo not pulling up from mid-range whenever Brooke Lopez would drop on him. And, yeah, as that series wore on, you could almost kind of see... It looked like it was like in his head that he wasn't going to do that. So hoping that this year in the regular season he can build upon that. He's had a full off season um, overall for a Bam this year. Like defensively, I expect him to be in Defensive Player of the Year conversation. 
He's already kind of in there. It's just Miami wasn't high profile enough that he would have been taken uh, seriously. However, this year, the Heat should be high profile enough, and Bam definitely has the skills for it. Like, this is a defensive player of the year candidate. Offensively, is always what the question is, can he stay aggressive? Because for, for me, I try to see some parallels in there with uh, Nikola Jokic. So Nikola Jokic, who just won the MVP last season, extremely one of the best players in the league. So not saying he will, Bam will get there, but the pathway there may be to emulate Nikola Jokic, where Jokic came in and on the offensive end, because we'll defensively, that's a big difference. But just focusing on the offensive end, Jokic was a bit of an overpasser. He was always trying to get everybody involved. And he did have the touch. He just lacked the aggression. So what teams ended up, that played them, ended up doing was just kind of sagging off of him and essentially daring Jokic to score versus making a pass or a play for a teammate. And Jokic struggled with that originally because, again, he wanted to pass. He didn't really want to be a scorer. Over time and over the last few years, he essentially kind of grew to accept that defenses were going to continue to do this until he punished them as a scorer. And now Nikola Jokic is, is the, I would argue, best offensive center in the league because of the combination of scoring and playmaking. Uh, Bam could try to follow a similar role there. He definitely has the scoring now, not quite obviously to Jokic's level, but he's got it enough there that teams definitely respect his playmaking. Now the question is just, can he punish them when they try to sag off of him um, as a scorer. Not even worrying yet about the three-point shots. I mean, uh, the if he follows the trend, he's going to be eventually shooting threes in another year or two. Right now, though, I would just say make the mid-range a, a really lockdown weapon and focus on that defensive player of the year campaign. Moving into the bench, and I do promise we'll, we'll be moving a little faster now. Uh, I do expect the sixth man for the Miami Heat to be Tyler Hero. So last year, Tyler Hero in 30 minutes went 15 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists on 44% from the field, 36% from 3, 80% from the field. His 3-point attempt rate was 43%. So shows that he he does favor the 3 a lot, but he's not really as dependent upon it, especially as he's started to develop a bit more of a drive and finishing at the rim game. Uh, his true shooting percentage was 54%, so a little bit low, showing he does have some inefficiency. And his box plus minus, minus 1.6, because Tyler Hero still gets picked on a little bit on defense. So the perception of Tyler Hero, I feel right now, is worse than the player that he actually is um, currently. So what I mean by that is um, there's a lot of talk, and the perception of him right now is that he had a really bad, terrible year. And yeah, when you watch the film, it was pretty bad looking. But there is still a lot of good that could have been taken from last year. Uh, again, the big caveat was that Tyler Hero had about two months offseason between the NBA Finals and playing games again. So he didn't really have an offseason to improve and take the leap that a lot of people thought. So that's why he didn't reach the potential that people... Um, and, sorry, in addition to the shortened offseason, he also started the season for the Heat where we just got assaulted by injuries and constantly changing rotations, so he couldn't really get a good footing. So... On the one hand, yes, he, he did kind of fail to meet expectations. On the other hand, the deck was kind of stacked against him in that sense. So with a full offseason, he's uh, coming. He's looked pretty buff. Hopefully that means like you know he can absorb some contact when he drives in uh, or be a more physical defender. 
so that way you can try to like get some improvement on defense because that's clearly where there's the most opportunity right now. Again, he doesn't need to be a, a great defender. We would like him to be a great defender, but if he can just be a neutral defender, that's a big improvement because he still brings the value on the offensive end even with what was a down year shooting for him last year with 36%. Uh, if he can become a neutral defender and on the offensive end regain his shooting stroke, then that's a total game changer. Because even with the bad shooting from three last, well, relatively bad shooting from three, Hero still improved as a finisher at the rim. Uh, his playmaking improved a little bit, but primarily it was his finishing at the rim. And yeah, so if you combine that with a three-point shot, he's got a good inside-out game at that point. That's going to make him a damn good offensive player. And I think if that ends up being the case, that he does get that shooting stroke back and becomes a really great score off the bench because, again, that's kind of what you want your sixth man to do. So it kind of simplifies the role for him as well versus last year he was trying to be more of a playmaker. This year it's more like, no, dude, just come off the bench, playmake a little bit, but go get some buckets. I think that's a role he really will fit well into compared to last year. And in a best-case scenario, I would say Tyler Hero could be in the running, they not necessarily win, but running, get some votes for sixth man of the year. And so after the sixth man, we'll move on to the backup center, Dwayne Dedman, who was brought on later on in the season after Miami traded away Kelly Olynyk, so we needed a backup for the center spot, and Dwayne Dedman ended up filling that perfectly. In 13 minutes for Miami last season, he went 7 points, 5 rebounds, 1 assist, while shooting 71 from the field, because a lot of stuff right at the rim, uh, 20% from 3, and 74% from the free throw line for shooting splits. Like, bam, he primarily is a center and therefore doesn't really shoot threes, so no real reason to go over that. Uh, I'd rather just focus on his uh, true shooting percentage, which was a ridiculously high 74%, because, again, a lot of stuff at the rim, especially off offensive rebounds. And also a uh, box plus minus of 1.9, which actually makes him, along with uh, Bam and Jimmy and Udonis Haslam, which, again, we'll get to in a little bit, those are the only positive box plus minuses on the team overall last season. So in limited minutes, sure, but he has a definite impact. He does a good enough job on defense uh, that he can kind of fill in for that center position. Obviously, he's not a defensive player of the year like Bam, but it's not a huge drop-off defensively, which is great. And then uh, offensively, he really takes advantages of rebounding and being more of a high-energy pick-and-roll kind of player. So he fit in great, especially with uh, Jimmy Butler. They developed a really good chemistry last year. And he was team high in both offensive rebound, defensive rebound, and total rebound percentage. So um, that was probably the, the, the biggest thing that he ended up bringing to Miami was a real rebounding presence when uh, Bam went to the bench. Because rebounding has been a little bit of a weakness of Miami. Part of that is because Bam goes and defends on the perimeter so he can't be you know inside to, to get the rebound. But on the offensive end, this is when Deadman has really been making his rebounding uh, presence known. So hopefully he continues that on to this year as well. After the backup center, let's go to the other potential answer for the four for Miami, Markeith Morris. Uh, last year for the Los Angeles Lakers, in 20 minutes, he went seven points, four rebound, one assist on 41% from the field, 31 from three, 72 from the free throw line shooting splits. He did have a pretty good three-point uh, attempt rate of 55%, so primarily spacing the floor, it makes sense when you're on a LeBron team. Uh, his true shooting percentage, though, a little bit on the low-hand side, 51%, and his box plus minus was minus three, primarily because of the trouble on the offensive end. So defensively, I think he's solid. 
Offensively, he's not as good of a... Well, P.J. Tucker did not necessarily shoot well last year, but Morris isn't really much better. Uh, he can kind of put the ball on the floor and attack, but and I'm not quite sold on him. I think he's probably going to end up being the backup four, which you know, I think he could do a solid job at, but we'll have to see how the season progresses. So after Morris is the wild card, the X-Factor for Miami this season, Victor Oladipo who is currently recovering from off-season surgery and obviously wishing him the best. Um, last season, he was trading around a lot. This isn't, unfortunately, he hasn't looked like the Victor Oladipo that was an all-star from several years ago, though we do hope he can get back to that. But uh, in total last season, in 33 minutes, he went 20 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal on 41% from the field, 33 from 3, 75 from the free throw line. A three-point attempt rate of 42%, pretty good. Uh, two shooting percentage, 51%, so the efficiency is not quite there. And box plus minus and minus 1.5, uh, primarily because of the offensive end where his shot and efficiency hasn't been quite there. But obviously the raw, raw totals are nice, but those were also different situations. He only really played about four games for Miami before the injury kind of took him out for the rest of the season. He had to get surgery. So... He comes in for Miami as kind of like the X-Factor this year. I don't think they're going to try to rush him back too quickly. I mean, th- this team is plenty deep enough that they don't need him back ASAP. They can let him fully recover. And from that point, it just kind of depends upon how he plays. Like There is a world where Victor Oladipo could maybe even you know like push Tyler Hero for that six-man spot or a spot in the closing lineup. Uh, but I could also see a world where he maybe is just a solid rotation player or one where he unfortunately can't get back to form like it's all impossibility that's what makes him the wild card for this year so after Lodipo we have the two two-way players from last year they got deals instead Gabe Vincent and Max Struess Gabe Vincent will probably end up being the backup point guard Hero's more of a shooting guard but like I said backup point guard so last year during the big injury woes is when both Vincent and Struess kind of got to step up and get a little bit more time with the Heat, and they played just solidly enough that they're being brought back as kind of like more uh, deep bench and rotation type players this year. Uh, But in Gabe Vince's case, last year, 13 minutes, went 5 points, 1 rebound, 1 assist on 38 from the field, 31 from 3, 87 from the line. Um, He was a decent spacer. He had a 3-point attempt rate of 64%, 2 shooting of 50%, just wasn't a very efficient shooter. That was the biggest problem. Box plus minus, minus 2.2, primarily because of problems on the offensive end. But on the defensive end, he did a solid enough job. He kind of stood out there mainly. And then offensively, he can, I mean, he had one assist just decently enough. Honestly, I don't see him handling the ball too much. You're probably going to have at least one of Bam, um, Bam Jimmy or Kyle Lowry, maybe two, preferably. So he probably won't do a ton of ball handling. It'll just be focusing on trying to get that three-point um, percentage up and then defensively just hustling his ass off. And it's kind of the same role for Max Struess as well, just more so from like a wing position, whereas Vincent's more of a guard. So Struess last season uh, came in he in 13 minutes, went six points, one rebound, one assist on 46 from the field, 34 from three, 67 from the line, three-point attempt rate of 79%. So you 100% knew what he was here for. His true shooting percentage, though, was 60%, uh, in large part because he was able to be a little streaky from three at times. Definitely has the confidence, and he doesn't mind stepping out from deep as well. So that gives him an interesting um, part to his game. 
Bach plus minus of minus uh, 2.2. Unfortunately, it was a little bit on both ends. So defensively, he still has some room to grow. He wasn't quite as like standout-ish as, say, Vincent was, but Struess usually did solid enough. And then offensively, he kind of like tries to do what Duncan Robinson does, where just space the floor, maybe run around a little bit, try to shoot some threes. So he knows his role, and that's really about all we can like really ask for. So I'm getting really deep into the bench now. So um, next is Casey Akpala in 12 minutes, went three points, two rebounds, one assist on 38, 24, 53, three-point attempt rate of 52%. So was a willing shooter at least, but true shooting percentage of 45%. Not a very efficient suitor. Very, very poor. Box plus minus, minus 7.2. Big part of that was the offensive end. So, in theory, KZ Akpala could be a player. Like, there's definitely something there defensively. Um, as, like, the athleticism for it. It's offensively, that always brings the problems. He doesn't really bring much to the table. In theory, he's a three-point shooter or floor spacer. But, you know, he's shooting... 24%, so you're not going to uh, space the floor shooting like that. He's going to be a breaking case of emergency player. And along with him will probably be Omir Yurtseven. He was a big center. In theory, he could be a stretch five. And he looked pretty solid in the summer league, which is why he ended up getting a contract. However, preseason still looked a little lost. He looks a little bit behind. Um, it is, it's a lot trying to go to the NBA, but... I don't with Deadman and Bam. I don't. You, you could even go Markeith Morris if there's like foul trouble or something like that. I don't really see your serving getting a ton of minutes outside of like breaking case of emergency type stuff. And last but certainly not least, we arrive at the goat Udonis Haslam, who played literally only three minutes in all of last season. But they are a ridiculous three minutes where he went two for two from the field for four points, had one rebound. No assists, so he went 100% from the field. No values for three points or free throws because he didn't even take any. Nothing for three-point attempt rate. He doesn't need them. Two shooting percentage of 100%. He is a god. Box plus minus. Team high 31.1. Uh, and if you look at his numbers and they per 36 cents, they're just laughable. 48 points, 12 rebounds on, yeah, 100% field goal percentage. And making 24 field goals. Um, you know, it's just kind of like a fun, small sample size thing, what can happen in the NBA. But it's Udonis Haslam. Like, he brings his value off the court in the locker room in practice, kind of being like a second coach to just get paid really well to work out with the rest of the team. Um, but that impact is absolutely felt in Miami. It goes back almost two decades at this point. This is a his 19th season. And anytime Udonis Haslam steps on the court, it's a victory cigar unfortunately so not much to talk about beyond there uh the heat overall as a team i think they're actually pretty well balanced more so than last year like there's a good mix of star players with butler bam and lowry lowry at least can shoot the three but then the, all the supporting cast around them from you know hero robinson strews vincent all of them will at least try to shoot the three and some of them are even good three-point shooters which I think can help them, like, you know, not only in the regular season, but obviously once you get to the playoffs. Um, overall for this season, I do legitimately think that the Heat can be a top four team in the East and potentially a dark horse to make the conference finals. The East looks pretty well stacked, uh, was pretty well top-heavy in the sense of, like, 
it looks like it's Nets, Bucks, and then a pretty wide gap to a cluster of, I would say, Sixers, Heat, Hawks, and maybe Celtics. Um, I'm not sure how what Philly does with Simmons' situation, and I'm not quite sure how the Celtics will be with the new head coach. The Hawks were in the conference finals last year, and they're young enough that they should still be in the mix. But I heat, think the Heat are in there with them as well. But the journey of a 1,000 miles begins with a single step, the first of which for Miami will come this Thursday when they host the, the reigning champion Milwaukee Bucks, uh, a team that they obviously have also gone up against twice in the last two postseasons. One time we embarrassed them, one time they embarrassed us. Um, the, theirs is the more recent one. However, at the time of this recording, uh, the Bucks have just handled the Nets for the opening for the season. And I'm not going to lie, they looked really good, especially Giannis, and they weathered um, Drew Holiday going down for the rest of the game. They look like a team that is out to make a statement because a lot of the noise for the last few months has been how if the Nets were healthy, they would have beaten the Bucks, or maybe if the Lakers had been healthy, they would have they would have gone to the finals and beat the Bucks or the Clippers. So they came up, made a statement against the Nets. I wouldn't be surprised if they want to make a similar statement when they come to Miami on Thursday, just because we, whether we like it or not, we are kind of like entangled with them as well because of what happened in the last two postseasons. But similarly, Miami will also be motivated to show that the sweep that happened last year, that that team is completely gone and they're ready to start this season off on the right foot. After the Bucks on Thursday, we the Heat will be at the Pacers on Saturday. And this is a game that I do think the Heat should be able to win. The Pacers are a good team, sure, and they should be much improved with Rick Carlisle at the helm instead of the previous guy they had that was just apparently like a locker room cancer. Regardless, though, the talent sh- it should be more stacked in Miami's favor. The Pacers, I believe, uh, should project out to be more of like a play-in team, whereas Miami should be solidly in the playoffs. So this is a great opportunity to make a statement early on and show the difference. For now, though, I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, That'll be all for the season premiere episode. Be sure to follow the pod at Heaters Heating on Twitter and myself at KBR Heat Nation. Also, be sure, if you're interested, to check out all the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball on Twitter. I'll be back next week. Until then, hope you all have a good one. Later, Heat Nation.